Why is it that some brands explode with exponential viral growth and others don't? Why do household names die while others continue to reinvent themselves? The modern connected world has radically changed how brands grow and only those who understand it will survive. So it's time for an entirely new playbook. One that focuses on community, trust and integrity, where people are prioritized over profit and the winner isn't the one with the biggest bank account, but the one who cares the most. I believe purpose-led brands can change the world. So join me and the most innovative modern brand builders as I try to uncover their secret techniques and the principles that drove exponential growth and learn the stories about how they built some of the greatest brands of today. My name is Paul Archer and this is Building Brand Advocacy. Hello, my name is Paul Archer. Welcome back to the Building Brand Advocacy Podcast. I'm really excited today to be joined by Yvonne Kinser. And this is the podcast where we interview some of the greatest brand builders in the world. And so Yvonne, I'm keen to dig in and learn a little bit about you. But so before we dig into where you are now, a little bit of the history, let's just like start in the middle of the action were you did you launch the very first digital campaign for American Airlines in South America? Yes, in Latin America. And before we get to that, thank you so much for inviting me based on the conversation that we had before we officially start recording that is going to be a very fun uh, conversation. But yes, to your question, I planned and launched the first ever digital marketing effort of American Airlines across 20 countries in Latin America. It was something very new in 2000, uh, the year of 2000. And I volunteer. I have always been very attracted to the new and experimenting and just exploring new avenues. And, and that was a great opportunity for me to get into what we see now that is taking over marketing, which is digital marketing. But back then was just a small piece of some brands budget, not all of them, but very few. Incredible. Well, how was it? Was that incredibly hard? Was there just one vendor, one set of banner ads that you were doing? What? How did that look in, 20, in 2000? You know, it's funny because they're so complex now. There's the marketing technology and digital ecosystem is has so much complexity now. But when you look back, and it was only 20 years ago, it was only banners and websites. So the biggest decision you could make was what website are we going to advertise and how the banner is going to look like, pretty much. And building some very basic websites with very limited functionality. So it was definitely a different world. But it allowed me to learn with the evolution of digital marketing through the past 20 years and see how we went from that to what what it is today. That is a very, very complex world. That's amazing. And what was was the top website back in 2000? Can you remember? Was it built in GeoCities? Oh, yeah. It was mostly portals. So it was Star Media in Latin America. There was Yahoo. There was, what was the other one? I think Yahoo was the predominant and in Latin America was Star Media and then some small portals. So like I say, uh, Hotmail, <laughs> remember Hotmail. Yeah. And was, AOL, uh, remember AOL, you've got mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. But yeah, that's bringing me back there. But let's fast forward now. You are supplying, you are part of ensuring that every millennial across the US is very happy. So t- tell us a little bit about what you do right now. 
So, you know, I, I work for Avocados from Mexico. It's a brand and it's a brand, not by accident, but it was not supposed to be. It, w- it was supposed to be a commodity until in 2013, 2014, or CEO who comes from CPG, from tortillas, decided that we had a very, very interesting product, interesting enough to build a brand around it and to add value and to help consumers to make purchase decisions based on that value that we create of that brand. So we started building that brand in 2014. And just to give you some some numbers of the progress in only eight years. The brand preference has increased from 20% to 60%. We have doubled the imports of Mexican avocados in the US from 1.2 billion pounds to 2.5 billion pounds in only four years. So it has been definitely a very exciting ride. And, and, And I Think that I'm fortunate enough to have been from the beginning and I'm still there doing something new every day. Adding multiple billions of pounds, whether that's in weight or in currency, I think is, a, is always an impressive stat. And how does the brand show up then for a consumer? Is it through other suppliers they have the logo on or is it just literally the fact that they're from, from Mexico? How do you kind of deal with that? Because it's a fascinating conundrum. Yeah. So the first thing that that I want to clarify is that we only market in the U.S. As an organization, we're a marketing organization headquartered in Dallas, Texas, in the U.S. And and we have a two-pronged approach mission, which is to increase the imports of Mexican avocados to the U.S. and build the brand Avocados from Mexico in the U.S. So we develop the brand mainly through consumers, direct to consumers, we have a lot of challenges because we market as a CPG, but we don't have a lot of the elements that are needed or are the most valuable for CPG to market their products. An example is we don't have a package. We, you know, the stickers is not consistent because we have multiple packers and distributors and each of them has also their own brand overlapping the Avocados from Mexico brand. But we have been able to find the mechanism through innovation, through creative, disruptive marketing approaches to really communicate the essence of that brand to the consumers. That what we call that is that Mexicanity that surrounds the 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 experience of or brand of the the, the avocados coming from Mexico. And just to sorry to get into the details of it, but but so who pays for that? Are, they, are these the growers on, on this side? Is it distributors? How does it kind of work? It's a super interesting model, and and that's a, a question that we get a lot. And when when I explain what we're doing, very good questions. So we are a check of program of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. So there's thousands of growers in Michoacan, Mexico, and there's hundreds of packers and distributors in the U.S. Those two organizations for first time came together on their one of the checkoff programs of the USDA. So 
for a percentage of every pound of avocados imported to the U.S. goes to the marketing fund. So one fascinating fact that actually attracted me to join the organization back in 2014 is that our marketing budget increases proportionally to the increase of the avocado consumption. And the avocado consumption, like, like I mentioned a minute ago, has been skyrocketing. So our marketing budget gets get stronger. There's a lot of more things that we can do to engage consumers, and therefore we increase the growth. So it's, it's like a wonderful cycle that we have been in for the past eight years. That's amazing. And are you trying to steal market share from other avocado growing regions or is is the main remit just the more people eating avocados, you know, rising tires, raise all ships, that kind of mindset? Yeah. I love your question. Super interesting because yes, we don't, we, we actually, as a market leaders, we have 90% of the market share and we're talking about 2.5 billion pounds of avocados. So that represents 90% of the market share. Also, with that kind of volume, avocados from Mexico are the or- only origin that can supply that, that kind of volume that is available all year round. All the, all the other origins are, have, are seasonal. So we have the the desire and the responsibility to push the market forward and expand it because if the market expands, we or 90% proportionally expands, but we help all the other origins and the industry and and more importantly, the consumer that is just more in love with avocados every day. Love that. Yeah, the more smashed avo on sourdough that's getting consumed by millennials in cafes on a Sunday morning is the better for you. I love businesses that, that are like this, you know, kind of, if for every pound or every 10 bucks that people spend on avocados, you're going to take nine of them, then that's incredible. There's, the, there's like a, I think the largest poker brand in the world, I believe it's Poker Stars. You know, they've got something like 80% of the online poker market, which means that their whole remit is just get people paying poker online. It doesn't matter where they play because there's a good chance, well, they're eight out of every 10 bucks that's spent is going to go in their pocket. And so it just market is a different way. It's non-competitive. It's non-combative. It's it's uh, just about kind of getting people infused. And, and and how do you do that? I mean, we're not talking about small budgets here. We're, we're talking like Super Bowl level budgets. So how do you get more people consuming a product like that? You will think, and it's a perception that we have very deep pockets because we go to the Super Bowl. But the truth is that it's a significant effort on our part and we allocate significant percentage of our budget to our Super Bowl, but but it's a 100% a strategic decision. If you think about it, how many products are in front of the consumer when that consumer is watching the Super Bowl and listening and, and, and seeing the messages of the advertisers, there are very, very few. You can say beer, chips, sodas, and guacamole. Guacamole has become a staple in the American stable during the football season. So for a product like ours, for a mission like ours, that is to build a brand and to attach a brand to a product, it was it will have been an enormous missed opportunity if we don't take that moment, uh, what we call a moment of truth, to put 
brand that guacamole that is in front of the consumers when they are watching that event and actually seeing or, or the messages in, in the screen. So we jump at it from the first year and we have been having a Super Bowl campaign for eight years now. And, and I think if you ask me, that has been one of the fundamental efforts that have really helped to put avocado from Mexico as a brand in the map and in, in the consumer's mind. That's amazing. And when you go out and deal with that, I mean, you, sounds like you're putting a decent chunk of your budget towards it. Like how much work is involved in that from the get-go? And, and also how do you how do you measure success given that you're not directly selling a product? Yeah. Um, so w- one thing in, in, that is very interesting is that for us, the Super Bowl TV is just an excuse to create a much bigger campaign on the digital side and to create that buzz on the PR side and get just people to talk about it and talk about it uh, as a brand and talk about the product attached to the brand. So it's a brand effort, but it has multiple legs the TV being one of those, but also a very strong digital activation, which by the way, it has been the top one or top two best performing Super Bowl digital activation for eight consecutive years with significant less budget than competitors like multi-billion dollar companies. And when you have those three areas just blasting the market with the brand name and the brand message and the conversation about it because it's unexpected. Nobody will has will have expected a fruit to have a spot in the Super Bowl. And actually he, we were the first fruit ever in history to have a TV spot in the Super Bowl. That create a conversation in those multiple areas that is strong enough that has cemented our brand in the United States. And when you are going about doing this kind of thing, are you trying to, you know, are, are you trying to get people to think about different ways of using avocados? Are you trying to spur them on in the moment, like watching the games? Like, oh yeah, let's make some guac. Or what's the output? Yeah. What's the behavior that you want to drive? Yeah, yeah, and and I miss sorry, you, the second part of your question that is how we measure. So we measure differently in each of the areas. When we're talking about digital and PR, we measure based on impressions. And I know impressions may seem sometimes like a shallow metric, but when you deliver billions of impressions, which is what we do in a very short period of time, the impact is felt, and the frequency of the message is extremely high to develop to deliver that number of uh, impressions so it stays it stays with the consumer in fact there's a, a research that this company yougov ha- does every year one month after the super bowl and they measure the increase in purchase consideration one month after the Super Bowl. And they actually, they launched that research for three consecutive years from 2018 through 2025, remember correctly. And every one of the years, Avocado from Mexico showed the biggest increase in purchase intent one month after the Super Bowl. So to your question, we're not advertising in the Super Bowl to get consumers to buy avocados 
for the Super Bowl, uh, because by the time that they watch that spot, they they already have their guacamole. But however, we launched the digital campaign and the PR campaign. And since three years ago, we're also start adding a shopper efforts in partnership with some retailers that advertise part of our campaign in store. But the the important thing is, remember, this is a brand effort. So when you're in the Super Bowl and you have that guacamole in front of you, is branded now, but but also it, it does impact the volume, and you know over time, it, all that branding that we're creating is really kind of moving a needle and and pushing the the consumption. On the other hand, when we talk about TV, then we are very very disciplined and very strict in how we measure. We measure the message understanding that we communicate or core brand message through the, the TV story, the, the story that we put in TV, we measure uh, the engagement, we measure the brand recall, we measure the short-term sales. So, so there's a lot of brand metrics also that we analyze after, before and after we actually pre-test and we, then we post-test to see the results. I, I mean, it makes a lot of sense in, in terms of the way that you're measuring it and the things that you are trying to push. But when you're measuring all these things, has there been anything that's been out of your control that has massively shifted the the consumption of avocados? Like, has there been a trend that just a, a meal that went crazy or a recipe that Oprah covered that suddenly meant avocados were selling out that you were like, wow, we're, we're measuring avocado sales and they're going crazy. What was that? And you were able to pinpoint it to one thing. I'd love to know if you've got a few examples like that. You know that... Is the consumers just absolutely love avocados all around. They have this aura on that around their halo around that is just make them, they're perceived as fun and delicious and very, very healthy as a superfood. So one of the messages that we have done plenty of research to identify all those sentiments, but one of those one of those attributes that drive the consumption is, is the, the health in avocados. When we analyze the, the, the purchase behavior and do some research to see what just drive the consumers to enter the category, the top is health and wellness. What we call is we categorize it as health and wellness. But then when you think about it, it's one of the few ingredients that is healthy and also delicious and also it's just fun to eat. And it, it makes every meal better. And with this versatility, it's really literally every single meal. You can add it to anything and kind of enhance the, the whole meal. It's almost a magical ingredient because naturally and organically has so many attributes. So we complement all that with building a fun, quirky, unexpected brand. How do you do that around the idea of, so like you've been doing this for eight years now, like the kind of the mindset and the landscape has, has, has shifted in terms of people's awareness of the environment and wanting to be more sustainable. Now, 
getting more people to buy more product that is imported from another place and the farming element to that. How do you kind of combat that? I mean, how sustainable are avocados? Is that a message that you're able to push or something you, you try to deal with? I think it's something which every brand in the world has to deal with. So I'm fascinated about the way that you guys do. Yeah, we do some of those uh, communication efforts through our PR team. But uh, like I said before, it's a magical product. And and that magic goes all the way to Michoacan, Mexico, where the product comes from. Is Again, it's the only place on earth where the avocado tree has four blooms. But also 90% of the water and avocados trees needs a lot of water and it's, it's a problem in some other places and, and origins. But in Mexico, 90% of the water is rainfall water. So it's, it's a very sustainable business and uh, origin. And also we are we have reforestation programs. It's a very, very solid story about sustainability that we try to communicate through the proper channels, through our, our PR team is doing a great job doing that. Yeah, that makes makes a lot of sense. And actually taking an avocado from Mexico to Dallas is, is not that far compared to yeah. taking an avocado from Mexico to London, where there's a big carbon footprint involved in it here. So I think probably uh, millennials across Europe have to feel a bit more guilty because there's, there's not much avocado grown happening in Surrey as we speak about it. So it's fascinating to see the way that you've grown this brand. I mean, how have you been impactful to it? What has been your individual role and, and how key were you to allowing and making sure that this happened? When I first went to the interviews for the position of head of digital marketing, and I didn't even know about the brand. It was before the first Super Bowl. And I didn't have experience in the fresh products category. But I remember the recruiter told me, do you, they are interested in talking to you, an avocado from Mexico. My first question was, was that? And then she explained it to me. It's a new company. It's a marketing firm. They, this is the, the vision of the CEO. So I was curious enough to go. and. During that first conversation with the CEO who then hired me, he I asked him honestly, why me if I don't have experience in the products category? How, how do, you, do you think that I can help you? And then he told me that he was looking ex- exactly for that, for someone that comes from a different industry with no preconceived notions of how marketing is done in the fresh products industry because he wanted to do things differently and he wanted someone who helped him do what nobody else had done before. So I think that conversation became kind of the foundation of the department that I built from scratch that was digital marketing. But I naturally bond that is pusher. So I think that my individual contribution has been push the boundaries to their limits and and that have led to we you know we have put things out there that are completely unexpected that has been called by magazines that talks about innovation as the the true creative breakthroughs 
in marketing. We in only in 2021 we were named the most innovative among the most innovative companies in the world, the the 100 most innovative companies in the world by Fast Company, but the number one in the branding category. In the branding category, we were not even supposed to be a brand, and now we're in those list of the most innovative brands in the world competing. Except beside Nike, Adidas, you know, actually avocados from Mexico are here. Yeah. I mean, I actually in the in the top 10 list, there was behind us brands that I, I deeply admire, like uh, Impossible Foods, TikTok, go figure. But it's again, I think that is the unexpected, is that kind of lateral thinking where instead of vertical thinking, where where you dig deeper into the obvious is just looking for what else is out there and what is a different way that we can get to those outcomes and the outcome being communicating with the consumer and engaging the consumer, but in in ways that are completely different, disruptive and unexpected and never done before. Amazing. Well, I mean, right. So this this podcast is building brand advocacy. And I think uh, I, I have to ask about advocacy. This is the topic of my favorite topic. How does it work? Like, how do you drive advocacy from consumer to consumer? Is this an inspiration around recipes, about usage, about the way that they should be purchasing? Like, is this something you measure? I'd, I'd love to know a bit more. You name all of it. You, we have different multiple pillars and you name them. You, it's, it's about recipes. Yes, we have a content pillar that is we call key uses and is those recipes that and uses that offer the biggest opportunity for growth. For example, less than 1% of the tacos in the U.S. have avocados in it. And it's a natural. Every taco should have an avocado. So the the opportunity to grow on that, uh, the tacos, and and you name uh, avocado toast, which is a great opportunity. But statistically, what we have seen is there's, more than 99% of the tacos that were we can actually grow into and add avocados. Then we have the health, the health and wellness pillar that has so many advocates, including nutritionists, physical trainers, medical professionals. So we we have an army of supporters organically, let alone advertising organically, that really, really believe in the product. And I think that is, um, we're lucky to have that. It's even more valuable than any advertising that we can possibly do. But we, through advertising, we keep avocados and avocado from Mexico top of mind among all those advocates. And, and do you have a database of advocates or customers or anything like that? Or is it mainly looking at that kind of that high level sentiment? We do. We have... Um, and actually, we start building that way back in 2015, before our first Super Bowl, speaking about that. When I get there, but let me tell you a little bit of the story. My first assignment when I started in Avocado from Mexico in September 2014 was to build a website. We didn't have a website. The second assignment was to build a Super Bowl digital campaign in three months. So when, no when I, okay, yeah, it was a, it was at the extreme. So in 
when I looked at it, is what what even is that super world digital campaign? What is what is the objective? How we can get there? How we get launch a successful effort? I realized that the winner, call it the winner, the the, the brands that dominates the the Super Bowl digital are those able to dominate the conversation. As a small brand, we couldn't afford what other brands afford. I mean, Pepsi has a halftime show that is several millions of dollars. And of course, that creates conversation. All the other multi-billion dollar brands have like celebrities that can cause or entire year, <laughs> budget or entire budget for the year. So what I thought was, but we have something that is organic to us and is the love of those consumers. So we start building this group of advocates that may have 200 followers on social media, 300, 500, it doesn't matter, but they really love and are passionate about avocados. So we brought the digital technology capabilities to organize them. We end up bringing together over 100,000 of those advocates, brand ambassadors. And that has been our secret weapon to every single Super Bowl. When we let them go to communicate our messages, there's no pay media that can beat the the amplification of the true fan follow, uh, brand followers and advocates. Hundred thousand. How do you do that? How do you manage it? How do you drive them to go off and spread the word at the right time when you've got the the rest of the cons happening? So it's all about organizing them. Once we recruit them, is is about organizing the communication with them. And for that, you know, I I'm a huge fan of the marketing technology ecosystem. I think that. Is a has never been a better time to be a marketer because our toolbox at this point is just gigantic. Anything that you can imagine, you can go to that marketing technology ecosystem and, and find it. So we brought the technology and, and a platform that allows to organize them and communicate efficiently with all of them uh, with different specific messages and engage them and activate them, which is the most important and activate them with the right message at the right time for them to communicate to their networks. And so just to go deep and nerdy on this, we're talking about this as like a CRM business software where you're pushing out communications at the right time and saying, hey, we'd love you to do this. Was there any sort of incentive structure to get them to do more of it? Were you, were you measuring it in any particular way? There is, there is. We do, we keep them engaged um, during the whole year with small contexts and sweepstakes and messages, um, even thank you messages for being with us and for helping us to spread the the love of, of for avocados and you know they are always free to disengage but they haven't so we we keep them engaged throughout the year and and we really activate them very very strongly during our key campaigns like the Super Bowl Cinco de Mayo etc and do, do many of them have followings are they we talking about a couple of thousand followings are they modest hundreds of followings what sort of people are we talking about here they they not they don't they are what we call nano influencers if you call a brand ambassador they may have some of them 100 followers or 200 followers i mean it's just people like like any any person that 
love avocados and consume avocados, but the power is in the togetherness. When you bring them together, then it's just unbeatable, really, because it's, there's there's not uh, nothing can beat a real consumer passionate for a brand communicating the message of that brand. Here, here, I completely back that. I mean, I mean, I'm obviously mega biased because that's 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 what we specialize in. But where I really feel quite passionately is I think that the whole of marketing has just taken a wrong turn when they talk about influencers, and they are obsessed with finding someone who's got reach and paying them to pretend to like their brand. When actually every single brand then has millions of fans who love what they do and would go out and spread the word if you give them the opportunity, but they're too busy trying to convert non-fans to do it. And the result is that it's inauthentic. Like one person authentically telling a hundred people that they love a thing, that gets you a hundred more fans. And so one person with a million followers pretending to like a product, we know when they're lying. We know that they're not authentic. It's, that, that might get you also 100 fans. And it's about, well, how do we get the authentic people? How do we get that passion to just shine through communications? And I think that definitely there's a shift in a mindset that needs to move within, within, within marketing and brand building as a whole. And it seems that you guys got, have got that absolutely nailed. Yeah. And look, I have seen how the influencer industry has been growing and I respect it. And there's a lot of influencers that I admire, but overall generalizing, I has been skeptical of influencers because it's it's just like advertising and not all the time it has proved that not all the time is authentic. So I have, we, we work with influencers, but we're very cautious about it and, and it has to be an effort that come across as very authentic because it is authentic. But when you have brand ambassadors that are spontaneously loving your brand and you just enlist them and say, you're you're loving the brand anyways, why don't you join us and help us to spread that love that you're already feeling? There's something about it that always have attracted me more toward that more genuine and organic approach. And yes, you like everything, you bring technology to enhance that experience and, and to make it more efficient. But at the behind that technology, there's a human with an authentic love for a product and for a brand. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's that's kind of core. I, mean, I always think like an advocate, in fact, I do think the definition of an advocate is 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 a customer or a fan who who supports and recommends a brand over a period of time. And that's what's key. It's that period, it's that longevity of their relationship that they have with it. If if you think that you can just find someone and then pay them to do a single post then that doesn't show that there's any longevity to that relationship. It is just a renter post. It's the same as buying an ad. But advocacy is so much more powerful than that. And, and, and you're right. Some of some advocates are also influencers. Most advocates aren't. And it's like, okay, well, how do I find the number of those that are influencers and do more with them? But, you know, like I think there is just that it's got to start with that foundation, authenticity, love, passion. Then we can see if we can get reach and influence on top of that. Uh, but, and, and sometimes you don't, but that's cool because the, the grassroots part's going to get you the most impact exactly yeah that's totally right love it right okay well we talk about avocados all day long i i'm a massive fan as are you clearly but just got a couple of quick fire questions that i wanted to to fire your direction does that sound all right yeah sure 
So, I mean, we've really only, we, we touched about American Airlines, we've talked about avocados from Mexico. You've had an incredible career at so many great brands across tons of different industries, actually. But if you were looking back to your 21-year-old self starting out, what advice would you give you? I will, you know, I, I between 21 and, and when I found my path in my career, a path that I fulfills me, I did a lot of testing. And one thing that is important is that regardless of how things look in the exterior, you have to find a space, a place, and a culture that matches your values and your core values. And the core values of every person are different. And that's the reason why there's no one-fits-all company. And if I will have known before, I think that I will be more aware of that was the goal of my career. You know, I, I don't I don't regret anything because everything has been a learning. But I one thing that I learned is that my core values are not attached to maybe a big brand multi-billion dollar company that is already built. My core values are very linked to invention and reinvention and creativity and living things better than the way I found them and that are better played in environments that are new and experimental. So it has been a wonderful journey, but if I will talk to myself at 20, 21, I will have kind of pointed that toward that direction earlier on. And you're not just saying, I mean, you're right now, you're reading, you're, you're writing a book, am I right? Very yes. similar in this sort of space. And so first of all, tell us what that is. And is that the kind of thing that you wish you had read when you were 21 as well to help you get to where you are today? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, when I... When I started writing a book, I knew what I wanted to write about. It's not marketing, interestingly, but is how it's about thinking. So the whole book is about thinking. And surprisingly, even to my surprise, I'm already halfway through with 60 pages all about the art of and the science of thinking, because I think that one of the things that we need to hear right now and we need to practice is that just remember how important it is. And we're so busy and our life are so hectic and we have so much external stimulus from social media and emails and texts and notifications. And there's everywhere that we don't give our brains the space and the time to take one thought that it interest us and reflect on it and build upon it to create the next bad things that are going to drive evolution. So the problem is then that we end up following the status quo, which is not nothing else that something that somebody else thought before us and just go with it instead of trying to improve. So, so I think that there's a need in every industry for us to reimagine the power of thinking and that that's what I'm writing about. So many people say their best ideas come to them in the shower. I don't think that's got anything to do with the fact that they're in the shower, but more of the fact that they don't have any stimulus. And it's it's the only time in the entire day when they have to think and then they, all the ideas flow. And if in that 
five, 10 minute, however long you have a shower for process, you can have all those great ideas. It's like, imagine if you actually just carved that space out for yourself in the day. Exactly. exactly. And, and also purposefully and intentionally say, there's an idea or a thought or a statement that is interesting to me. Let me pause. Let me clean the clutter in my brain and take five minutes, 10 minutes to just reflect on it. it you, you have no idea the all the new ideas and, and the, the richness that comes from those 10 minutes that we sit and reflect and let our brains to work on that thought. Yeah, I love that. I, I always find one of the most powerful things that listen to in podcasts or books and, and reading is to stop when you someone says something interesting is to stop them and then just like digest it for a while. I, I don't know if you're on a run or something like that or commuting and just to think. And that's one of those things that's very hard to do because you're constantly like, I've got to do next. I've got to do next. What I've got, I've got the plan. And then you've got your phone, which has got your emails and what social media and messages. And actually it's really hard to do that. So do you have any sort of tips for people on how to carve out that space where they can just, think yes exactly and and this is what i'm writing in a way that you can open it in every page and have a snackable piece of thought-provoking content that you can just read read that it's going to take one minute and then take your time and think about it and reflect as an it's a guide to exercise your brain really and and just regain that ability and space that we all deserve to reflect and think love it can't, can't wait to read it uh, a couple of other quick fire questions because that didn't go very quick uh, <laughs> what counterintuitives have you been those things that you found that you expected to go one way but actually intuitively but actually it went completely the opposite direction and surprised you through my career or or wherever or you what go I'm writing? yeah wherever you want to go with it okay I mean, you don't know what you don't know, right? But I think that if you don't explore and kind of challenge, even sometimes your own belief, you don't find answers that are the ones that are going to drive to creative breakthroughs or or changes or evolution. So I think that everything or is all the, the answers to all the counterintuitive situations are found not in the surface but deeper 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 inside and you have to really intentionally dig in to get those answers love it and then last one for me if you were to take anyone from the world of brand building and marketing out for lunch who would it be past present alive dead you know, I admire the CMO of MasterCard. I admire his passion, his greed, his ability to challenge unapologetically every preconceived notions of uh, marketing. I would love to have a lunch with him and pick his brain more to learn from, from that. He's thinking. Great answer. Great answer. Yvonne, this has been fascinating. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot for making the time and joining me on Building Brand Advocacy. Uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Yes, I mean, all my uh, social networks, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram is Yvonne Kinzer, all of them. So it's easy. <laughs> Amazing. Cool. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great day. 
So that was Building Brand Advocacy. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed making it. Now, we are obviously all about advocacy, so if you enjoyed that, please do tell a friend and share that episode, or even share the, the show. And if you haven't subscribed, please do subscribe. Um, if you know anyone who you think would be great and you'd love to hear more about, like, please do get in touch and recommend them. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, my name's Paul Archer, or email me paul at jewel.tech, um, and we'll reach out and try and help there. And in the meantime, stay tuned for the next one.